0: Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 104. Paul was educated at the feet of Rabban Gamla El in Jerusalem, entangled in a religious system built on a foundation of idolatry and spiritual captivity. To free him, Yeshua appeared and said to him, Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you are to do. That was the Damascus of the Qumran community. Shalom. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. On last week's episode 103 and part 7 of my series on the Dead Sea Scrolls, I presented a second alternative viewpoint as to why the Qumran community might have named their settlement Damascus. With this episode, I want to continue with some more thoughts about this rather interesting term, Damascus, as it was used to describe a settlement of the house of Zadok, Levitical priests, and the Jewish people that supported them as their allies from all the families of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. With last week's study, I began with the question, did the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls community of the House of Tzadok, along with their many supporters and followers, have one or more specific spiritual, political, or social reasons for naming their settlement Damascus? To answer the question, I quoted one of their source texts, from the scroll of the Covenant of Damascus, referred to as CDB, 4Q267, Fragment 2, Lines 7-15. through 15. From that text, we learned that the men of the House of Sadok derived seven doctrinal statements that they believed about their divine rights of calling and authority in and among the whole House of Israel. Number one, a covenant was established between Jehovah and Israel's men of knowledge, where the men of knowledge are the men of the house of Tzadok. Number two, there was a water well from the days of Moses, and it was spiritually identified as the Torah or the law. Number three, each man among the nobles of the people dug that water well, Based on Numbers 21.18, they were moved to do so with the help of the rod or staff of Messiah. According to Scripture, this Messianic figure is identified in Hebrew Scripture from Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda or Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Number four, each of the noted well diggers of that well of Moses are those from among the repentant of Israel who choose to disconnect from Judah's corrupt teachings and laws. Number five, each of these well diggers of this well of Moses from Numbers 21.18, are those from among the repentant of Judah who live in the dwellings of Damascus. These Qumran House of Tzedok men of knowledge and the covenant believed that repentance will be known and confirmed when one chooses to break their connection to the authority of the Judeans or the Jews. Yeshua reinforced the doctrine based on the covenant that he was referring to in Genesis 49:24 through 25. But his bow, referring to the bow of Joseph, remained in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. And then in parentheses we read, From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your Father, who will help you, and by Shaddai, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Now, I want to point out that this term breasts in this passage is a Hebrew word play on Shaddai, which means the double-breasted one. Now compare this to Yeshua at Luke 11, 27-28. A certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, to Yeshua, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he, referring to Yeshua, said, More than that, blessed are those who hear, or Shema, the word of God, and keep him, or guard him. And also, this from Luke eight nineteen through 21 His mother, referring to Yeshua's mother, and his brothers came to him, and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear, from the Hebrew word Shema, who hear the word of God and do him. Number six. Each of these well diggers of the well of Moses are those from among that place called Damascus. They are called princes who have an excellent reputation among all of the people of Israel. And finally, number seven, each of those who dig that well, the one referred to as the well of Moses in Numbers 21.18, they do so with a digging tool who is identified as the interpreter of the law. Now, this appears to be a reference to what Yeshua spoke about in John fourteen twenty six, the helper that is the Ruach, a Kodesh or the spirit of the Holy one, whom the father will send in my name. She will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that i said to you and also linked to this is matthew 13:52 Yeshua said every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old with all this said let us now continue with some additional thoughts about this linkage between Qumran and Damascus. In the scroll of the Covenant of Damascus, there are some six mentions of the term Damascus. Among these, one reference stands out from the prophecy of Amos chapter 5 in Hebrew Scripture. Contextually, Yehovah speaks to the house of Israel— about their ongoing idolatry and unfaithfulness. Jehovah concludes his criticism saying in Amos 5:27 therefore i will send you into captivity to or towards damascus says jehovah whose name is elohim tsevaot in the scroll of the covenant of damascus again CDB for Q267, the scribe or scribes who wrote that scroll appear to be telling us that the term Damascus is a cipher, or if you will, a biblical code word for a physical and spiritual captivity, not necessarily originating from Jehovah. Yes, it is true. That Jehovah can and will set up an individual or a people or a nation to go into an unwanted physical or spiritual captivity. Scripture calls this an induced blindness, such as what is written about in the prophet Zephaniah or Zephaniah, chapter one verse seventeen, as well as in 2 Corinthians three fourteen. The initial point that I'm trying to make here is that we should not be hyper-focused on the literal term Damascus in and of itself, although overall it is important to the story and to Qumran biblical theology. Nonetheless, I actually think the term Damascus has a deeper meaning. And it certainly appears that it had a deeper meaning to the Qumran men of knowledge coming from the house of Tzadok. So then, this brings me to discuss this story of Sha'ul, or Paul, concerning his road to Damascus experience in Acts chapter 9, and again retold in Acts chapter 22. So let's read this together. Acts 22, we'll go through these 15 verses together. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamle'el, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law. And that is a reference to the oral law of Judaism. And he goes on to say, And I was zealous toward God, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness." and all of the council of the elders, referring to the Sanhedrin of the Judeans. And he goes on to say, From whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus, At about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Sha'ul, Sha'ul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Master? And he said to me, I am Yeshua of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me, indeed, saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Master? And Adonai, or the Master, said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Hananiah or Ananias, a devout man. The idea here in the Greek and Hebrew is that of an obedient man, a man of the Torah Shema, according to the law, not the oral law of Judaism. This is a man obedient to or operating in the Shema for the written law, the written Torah of Moses. Paul says he had a good testimony with the Jews who dwelt there, referring to Damascus. And he came to me and he stood and he said to me, Brother Shaul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one or the righteous one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, here we learn that Paul or Shaul is transformed with a new spiritual pursuit as a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. And you can learn this from Philippians 3, 5. So Paul's testimony is thus, from Acts 22, verse 3. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city, referring to Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's Law. Now, this is a reference to the oral law and the traditions of Judaism, the legal traditions, which is all explained in a summary form according to what is called the Perquet of Vote, that is, the chapters of the Fathers. In the Perquet of Vote 1 1, we learn this from Rabbinic Judaism. Moses received the Torah. From Mount Sinai, and conveyed it to Joshua. Joshua conveyed it to the elders, the elders conveyed it to the prophets, and the prophets conveyed it to the men of the great assembly. They said three things, be diligent in judgment, develop or make many disciples, and make a fence or a protective fence For the Torah, that is the law of Moses, that's what this Jewish oral law is all about. It's about this fence or protective fence for the Torah. So when Paul said that he was taught everything according to the strictness of our Father's law, this was the beginning of his Damascus Road captivity according to Amos 5.27. Therefore, I will send you into captivity to or towards Damascus. However, before Paul's transformation, his spiritual quest for the strictness of the traditions and the laws of his fathers, again referring to the oral law or the oral protective laws of Judaism, this was nothing new. Because as the Perkay vote one one tells us, be deliberate in judgment. And the Hebrew word there refers to being very careful, very slow, and very considerate in all judgments. It goes on to say to develop or make many disciples, and it also says to make this protective fence for the Torah, that is the law of Moses. So to me, this says that Paul's world was spiritually entangled as a disciple of Gamaliel, one of the greatest and most celebrated teachers of Judaism's oral traditions. Therefore, Paul had to face the reality of his own prison-like sentence or his own Damascus-type captivity, brewing in the prison of his own mind. This is understood when he testified, saying, quote, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem, to be punished. Compare this again to the Perkevot one one. Be careful, be slow, be considerate in judgment, from the Hebrew word in that teaching. Paul was one of the more zealous ones among the disciples of Rabban Gambleel and the high priests of Jerusalem. So this is exactly as Yeshua taught as a warning in Matthew seven, one through two. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I can assure you, Paul had a measure of judgment given back to him for what he was doing to others. Paul's own spiritual Damascus captivity was essentially measured back to him when Yeshua took him down a different road to damascus an experience that was to set him free from slavery to his father's laws forever thus we learn from the book of acts 7:27 and he referring to barnabas declared to them referring to yeshua's apostles in jerusalem how he referring to paul had seen the master on the road and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Yeshua. The image of Scripture's Damascus Road type of captivity, we could call this a prison of our own mind that looks like Damascus. Well, this comes to an end for each of us through Yeshua's death and resurrection on the third day. So Jehovah speaks through the prophet Amos and he says in Amos 9:11 On that day I will raise up the tabernacle or tent of David which has fallen down and repair the breach meaning the crack or the gap I will raise up his ruins and rebuild her as in the days of old the Qumran House of Tzedok Men of Knowledge, understood this to mean that there would be an end times restoration back to the ancient path, back to the old way, as the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah or Yermiyahu 616. Thus says Jehovah: stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in Him, then you will find rest for your souls. And Yeshua confirmed this prophecy of Yirmiyahu, saying in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through twenty-nine, "Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and." lowly in heart, and here's the quote from Jeremiah, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, should it be any surprise to us why Amos 911 was the quote that Yaakov or James used when speaking to the Yeshua believers and elders of the way who were all convened for an assembly in Jerusalem, In the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. Let's read it. And after they had become silent, Yaakov or James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Shimon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles, or the Goyim, to take out of them a people for his name. And with this... The words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David or the tent of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of man or mankind may seek Jehovah. Even all the Gentiles or the Goyim, who are called by my name, says Jehovah, who does all these. After centuries of military conquests by the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the whole house of Israel became splintered through many persecutions, desolations, and captivities, physically and spiritually, I think it could be said that the tabernacle or tent of David actually did fall. And this has more than one level of meaning to it, as it also applies to the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah and the establishing of Pentecost or Shavuot. Let's come back and let's talk further about the House of Zadok. okay? I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 104. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host. Avi ben Mordechai, Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and let's continue where we left off here before the break. Now, for a very long time since the days of Moses and Aaron, the house of Tzedok had faithfully carried out their occupation, as Jehovah had ordained for them. However, we know that about 175 years, give or take, Before Yeshua, in the days of the Hashmonaim, or the Maccabees, a kind of spiritual coup d'etat took place. The house of Judah produced scribes and Pharisees, and a group of Hellenized Levites produced an ambitious and aggressive group not of the Tzedekite line of judges and teachers. In the end, this produced a Hellenized, or Greek, House of priests and judges, all referred to as Sadducees, and they were beholden to the Herodian dynasty. Yeah, it was a political move. So essentially, we could call this another rebellion similar to that of the Korah rebellion recorded for us by Moses in Numbers 16 8 through 11. Then Moses said to Korah, here now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of Jehovah or the tent of Jehovah and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And then Moses goes on to say, and are you seeking the priesthood also? Meaning you want to usurp that which has been given to the sons of Aaron and through the house of Tzedok. So he says, therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against Jehovah." And what is Aaron? That you complain against him about their ambitions to usurp the entire line of the priesthood as Jehovah gave it to the sons of Aaron and, consequently, to the sons of Sadok, which served during the time of King David and King Solomon. So with that, let's go on. In the years preceding the arrival of Yeshua HaMashiach, Hellenized brethren of Yehuda and Levi embraced a new and improved religious system to apply for the whole house gathered together under the banner of the House of Judah in Jerusalem. They brought with them a system of new rules, new laws, new customs, and a new festival calendar, which I will come to shortly. Please be patient. Yes, they revamped everything as we can see glimpses of this in the Dead Sea Scrolls document known as 4 q MMT, which is 4Q Miksat Mahaseh Torah, translated as simply the selected works of the law. So in the meantime, some among the legitimate House of Zadok. Were killed in that decades old coup d'etat, but many more were forced into an unwanted Damascus type of captivity. Though it was not from Jehovah, nonetheless, Jehovah used that whole messy situation and in the end turned all that Judean evil into a beautiful messianic good. The remaining house of Tzadok, family of priests, from the pre-exilic whole house of Israel, those that did not get killed in the process, they settled at the northwest shores of the Dead Sea about a hundred years before the arrival of Messiah Yeshua. There they maintained a spiritual government and a community of truth and unity, calling themselves the Yachad, which means a unity accord. What's more, I am certain that they had a deep appreciation for Hebrew Scripture and for its volumes of beautiful ciphers and biblical code, such as what can be found in Jehovah's Word to Moses, as it's written in Exodus or Shemot 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and Keep my covenant, or guard it, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. The Hebrew word there for a special treasure is segula it's the word we use for the color purple today, and then he goes on to say, "For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak. To the sons of Israel. The house of Tzadok knew from their divine wisdom and prophecy the many biblical ciphers and code words of Hebrew Scripture, such as that term Damascus, and many other ideas just like this. Yes, they understood countless embedded lessons of Scripture, such as. The drawing out of the well of the Torah, the true water of the Word, drinking thirstily from Jehovah's well of the salvation in Yeshua, and living with an exile that they knew would one day end and they would be replaced with the hope of a messianic resurrection unto life. So they were, in fact, men of true knowledge. Who waited patiently for the arrival of Jehovah's new covenant messianic hope to once again pick up that mantle of judging and teaching the whole house of Israel about Jehovah's grace and truth and Jehovah's plan of justification or righteousness through Yeshua's finished third day resurrection? For this is what Yeshua warned everyone about, saying to those who had ears to hear in Matthew twenty-three thirty-two through 36 Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of Gehinom, which is the Hebrew word for the Hellenized Greek word, hell? Therefore, indeed... I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Those were the people that were part of the Qumran community. They had occupations and roles like this at that community. So Yeshua says, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Havel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Brachiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these will come upon this generation. Now, hopefully I have made it moderately clear the underlying biblical cipher and scriptural code words for the terms captivity and Damascus. And as I see things, it is not that Jehovah wants or desires that anyone should remain in and with death. Instead, he wants us to remain steadfast in trusting him while waiting patiently for Yehovah's promised third-day resurrection unto life, where it is taught in Scripture that a day is like a thousand years. Consider Psalm 90, verse 4, and Hosea, chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, and also in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, Hence, if we should choose to receive it, we should be looking for the arrival of Yeshua's second coming precisely when 2,000 years or two days are completed since his death and third day resurrection. And in my opinion, I think we're really close. Because of Yeshua's death and resurrection, dating to about year 27 to perhaps 30 or 33, as some people say. But what I think is even more remarkable, and that is when the House of Tzedok priests and their many allies and supporters tucked away their library of documents and prophetic scrolls into caves of darkness some 2,100 years ago. Well, who would have ever thought that they would once again return back to life in our own generation? Well, it is no surprise that they did, in fact, resurrect in November of 1947. That resurrection of the Dead Sea Scrolls documents happened just days before an international vote came from the United Nations that there would once again be an officially recognized state of Israel to commence beginning with November 29th, 1947. Now, you may not be familiar with that date, but you will be familiar with the date May 14th, 1948. But that's when David Ben-Gurion announced his declaration there in Tel Aviv. But the date when the UN recognized this internationally was November 29, 1947. However, just prior to that announcement, it was a sunny day out in the Qumran and the Dead Sea area. And at that time, a young Bedouin shepherd boy was having his day out in the sun with his goats and his sheep. Well, as young boys often do, he was playing and decided to throw a rock into a dark cave. Well, the rest is history. Well, the ancient teachings of the House of Tzedok and the Qumran community that died off in that desert settlement 2,100 years ago, they were once again revived from death to life. Through their 2100 year old writings, all carefully tucked away into clay jars in the numerous caves that are part of those rugged crags on the northwest shores of the Dead Sea. And what is contained within their library of these ancient writings is far too important to be overlooked. Thus, we learn a handful of some very important biblical truths from those hundreds of revived resurrected scrolls and thousands of fragments deposited there in those clay jars belonging to the Qumran community house of Tzadok. So we are reminded once again that we have arrived at the end times as Hebrew scripture testifies. Number one, Amos 9-11. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle or the tent of David, which has fallen down. Number two, Acts 15, 16-17. This is James or Yaakov speaking to the assembly gathered there in Jerusalem. Men and brethren, listen to me. Shimon has declared how God, at the first, visited the Goyim, or the Gentiles, to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and he quotes almost 9-11, After this I will return and will rebuild the tent or the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Number three. John seven thirty seven through thirty nine, Yeshua is speaking. A promised new Jerusalem is going to come from Jehovah's well of water from within to once again flow with the water of life, identified as Yeshua, who is the living Torah. Number four, Matthew thirteen fifty two. Yeshua says that every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Thus, each man of the renewed covenant of the Torah of Moses will learn to walk in the Spirit and to receive the word of the Torah through the interpreter of the law. And who is the interpreter of the law? This is number 5, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Spirit of the Holy One, whom the Father will send in my name, she will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Of course, all of this prophecy was yet future to that Qumran community of the house of Tzedoq, some 2100 years ago, the house of Tzadok called their community Damascus and called themselves the Yachad, a spiritual harmony and unity as a path to a better understanding of scriptures, ciphers, and hidden codes. The writings that they, perhaps unwittingly, passed down to us today are now opening up our understanding of the water of the word, that is, the word whose waters will never dry up, because in Yehovah there is always resurrection hope. Indeed, the Qumran community died off, but most assuredly their words have now and currently are being restored to all of us. So now we can understand the prophecy that they were waiting for. In their day, they were anticipating the coming of Shiloh, which is a code word for the Messiah, based on Genesis 49.10. The scepter, that is, the ruling authority, shall not depart from Yehudah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him, that's referring to Shilo—that that is a code or cipher for the Messiah, to him shall be the obedience or the Shema of the people. There at the site of the Qumran, they were waiting for Jehovah to come and to make straight all things not straight. Pulling from this same theology and teaching, we learn from Yeshua's cousin, Yochanan, or John, who quite likely had been a resident of that Qumran community of the house of Tzadok. That's according to many biblical scholars, and I would tend to agree with them. John went out to announce that Jehovah's Messiah had arrived through the person and work of Yeshua, fulfilling the word of Jehovah in Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying, comma, In the wilderness, or in the desert, prepare the way of Jehovah, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Obviously, Yochanan, or John, considered Isaiah's straight words, as applying to himself, but what's interesting is Yeshua confirmed this point, saying of John in John eleven fourteen to fifteen, and if you are willing to receive, he is Elijah or Eliyahu who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now all i have more to say about this whole thing of John in the wilderness and what he said to Yeshua when he sent the men to Yeshua, saying, Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? I'll have more to say about that next time, okay? But keep in mind that it was Philip, the brother of Natanel, who said to Natanel with gladness in his voice that all of our spiritual Damascus-type captivities would now come to an end just as it was for Avraham's nephew Lot when Abram went out to rescue him from his captivity to Damascus of Aram. So it was Philip who said in John one hundred forty five, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Ben Joseph. From the historical New Testament record, we know that Shaul or Paul of Tarsus was a learned man of the Pharisees who sat at the feet of one of Judaism's most celebrated teachers, Rabban Gamlael. Initially, this man Shaul did not have ears to hear about Yeshua and the way. Why not? Because like those who went before him, Shaul was still deeply entangled in the prison of his own mind. In almost 527, where Jehovah says, I will cause all of you to go into captivity or exile from this, referring to the previous verse about the gods that the people were idolizing on their travels through the desert to go further onward to or towards Damascus. But even as it was for Peter and for many others like him, Shaul was also given a unique opportunity to be set free from his own Damascus road captivity, or the prison of his own mind, if you want to put it that way. But it could only happen when Jehovah put Shaul back onto that road. In other words, when Jehovah made him aware that he was in fact in captivity so that he could see what he could not see. Still, while floundering around in his own Damascus type captivity of death, Yeshua reached out and called out to Shaul and said to him, in Acts twenty two seven through nine, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Master? And he said to me, I am Yeshua of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And in Acts twenty two ten, Paul testifies. So I said, What shall I do, Master? And the Master Adonai said to me, Arise, that is, get up, and go into Damascus, that is, the land of Damascus at Qumran, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Because of Shaul's spiritual transformation from death to life, the scales of his blindness fell from his eyes, and he saw what he needed to see to affect his glorious healing and transformation. Thus, we can and should appreciate Shaul's words in 2 Corinthians ten three through 6 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Elohim, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Messiah. And that happens, of course, when we get transformed from the new and so-called improved system of Judaism and we return back to the ways of the house of Tzedok in The Qumran community. So, in summary, the biblical term Damascus has some very deep underlying lessons that go well beyond a city in the land of Aram or Syria. But for now, we're going to stop, and next time we'll come back to make some strong literary connections between a number of statements that were made by Yeshua. And Paul to the teachings of the Qumran House of Tzadok community. Oh, please do navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Y'all willing? I'll see you next week. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.